Honestly, though, I do wish Tim Tebow success. Uh, you know, I think may it be a lesson that if you are a good person, I think you'll be given opportunities later in life. So I think that's, I, you know, a lot of people want to dog on his signing. I'm just like, hey, let it be a lesson. Let it be something that is, is a teachable moment. I don't know. I th- so I would say I think he, it's clear he's an incredibly talented athlete. Mm-hmm. That is where my judgment of him begins to become unkind. But that's because I think we have profoundly personal differences. Uh, I'm sure right. I would actually meet him. We have more in common than I'd be willing to admit. Well, I mean, like, but, let's, let, I mean, let's be honest. Like, let's say you're sitting at the bar and uh, you struck up a conversation with some stranger and then they're like, hey, what do you do for a living? And you're like, well, I'm a bartender. And then you say, what do you do? And they're like, I'm a pastor. How's that going to make you feel? <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, I'm going to cringe a little bit inside. I'm like, oh, no. What can I say around him? What can I not say but around then, him? But then, hang on, but then I'm probably going to be all right because I'm going to be like, all right, he's drinking, so he's not a Baptist. <laughs> Did you know that over $5 trillion exchanges hands on a daily basis? That's an average of over $220 billion an hour. Now, how does this much money move every single day, and why does it move the way it does? Here on Drunkenomics, two bartenders who also happen to be students at the University of Nebraska Graduate School of Business are going to sit down and drink to the global economy and try and translate it into English. So sit back, relax, pour yourself a stiff one, and have a drink with us to the comedy that is the global economy. Hey guys, and welcome back to Drunkenomics, the drinking podcast with the economics problem. Uh, Aaron, what was the VIX at? Oh, I'm delighted to tell you that the VIX is currently at 1840. Well... I guess I know what that means for tonight. That means that Aaron's going to be our more gracious host. That lets me slide back in my role as the less gracious host. Yeah, stay where you are. Know your role, man. It's nice to have an expertise. So, like I said, welcome back, or welcome for the first time. If this is your first time with us, uh, I am your less gracious host, James Goldwater. Alongside me, as always, one of my favorite drinking companions and favorite person to talk economics with, Mr. Aaron Wong. How are you doing today? Really good, thank you. I, I can't believe you introduced me as such. Your favorite person to talk economics with? Wow, I I don't know how to react to that. I'm, I'm flattered, but at the same time, it's like, dude, maybe you should get better friends. Oh, uh, I didn't say we were friends. <laughs> <laughs> right when I was thinking a sip, too. <laughs> I know. It almost came it out almost of his came nose. Out of my nose. I'm not proud to say, but yeah. Welcome back. So glad you could join us. It's been what an else is there to talk about? It's been an interesting yeah. week. I mean, here's my thing. I still don't understand why Bitcoin is trading at 39000 Well, I mean, last week. Yeah, I mean, we had that mini episode last week because I had too much of my point We didn't even know the half of it last week. We didn't even have Thursday or Friday. Oh my God, yeah. Yeah, so last week, what happened? Bitcoin tanked to what, 29 or just under 30,000? It got under 30 for a minute. Just a second. So it went from like 40 to 30 in one trading session and then back up to 40 and went back down to like 39 or something like that. But the reason why it happened was because what? Elon Musk sent a tweet Something about like Tesla no longer accepting Bitcoin as as a for for Tesla sales uh, out of concern for the electricity consumption. Which to me, I think that is a valid concern. If you're a green company, it's a valid concern. If yeah, if you're especially if you're a company like Tesla. But but my thing is, you know what? Like during Christmas when they have all those Christmas lights, right? And who doesn't love Christmas lights? Nobody indicts Christmas lights and all that kind of stuff. But there are certain cities that use as much energy, or at least in the U.S., just for Christmas lights. They use more energy than a lot of countries combined. They probably use more energy than Bitcoin mining. So I don't know. Oh, yeah. But 
the Bitcoin thing, to me, it's like, you know, why why does a certain asset move so much off of what Elon Musk is saying and oh, tweeting, yeah. right? Well, so- for, for good or ill, we've unfortunately been forced to come to the conclusion that Elon Musk is the is the equivalent of the Federal Reserve for cryptocurrency. Well, and if they had a chairman, <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be Elon Musk. So I love your comment there, but, uh, you know. But that gets us to Thursday and Friday. Well, even Wednesday when... Uh, when our girl Jay Yells came out, and what, okay, yeah, she, I remember and she, her saying something. She what did she say? Too. Yeah, what did she say exactly? So she well, said that in China, but yeah. So what Janet Yellen said is that the use of cryptocurrency to evade taxes—that's what it was—problematic. Well, and so there needs to be there needs to be stronger regulation of cryptocurrency within the United States. Yeah, and as far as like if you buy it and you sell it and you have a capital gain, like mm-hmm. how is that going to be taxed now, or is it is it still capital gains? Well, I think it would. You know, I think we'd still have to look at it as a capital capital I think probably a capital right? gain. But when yeah. people when you hear about income tax evasion or any kind of tax evasion, don't think of that as you keeping your money. Uh, from the the tyrannical government, think of yeah. it more as someone who probably has more money than you stealing from the society in which you live. That's how I view tax evasion, and that makes a lot of sense because, like, the people that are evading taxes are yeah, people it's, that it's it's not it's not, it's not people that forget I mean, to pay their taxes, yeah, and forget to do their turbo taxing. Which, by the way, happy it's tax. Not, which, by the way, happy tax week last happy week. Happy tax day. Um, I filed my taxes yeah. last week, so if. You know, if you haven't yet, you missed the deadline. Um, so go ahead and file for that extension. Out. It's just, it's a minor penalty. It's not a big deal. If you don't make very much money, it's not a big deal. Yeah, file really for an extension. Yeah. Essentially, interest starts to attach to whatever you owe as of the final tax date. You're, you'll be. When is the final tax date? What well, is it in October? Oh no, no, no. Uh, it's uh, in this case, it was. Um, it was May seventeenth. So May seventeenth is the date it. where interest starts to attach. Mm-hmm. So you have until October. To actually okay, file your return, yeah. but if you were to owe a hundred dollars, you would also owe, and I forget what the tax rate is, but you owe or what the interest rate is, but you owe interest right. on that hundred dollars between the seventeenth of May and the date you file. That is actually really good to know. I had no idea. But the yeah. moral of the story is file your taxes before the tax deadline, and it's usually April fifteenth. Last uh, two years, it's not true. <laughs> yeah, and that's it. For good I, reason. Yeah, and next year it's probably going to be April fifteenth. So make sure this time mm-hmm. next year set your alarm clocks or whatever. File your tax before April fifteenth. Anyways, moving on uh, <laughs> to Thursday and Friday last yeah. week. So China cracked so down. China got involved. Okay, what did you say? Hong Kong said retail investors can't trade crypto. Yeah. So so Tuesday, China reminded its its you know, financial institutions that it may not they may not provide any services to cryptocurrency trading that isn't the digital yuan. Uh-huh. Then Thursday. China reminded the same, the same people that that's well, they technically kinda, illegal. Yeah, well, and they also cracked down on the mining of cryptocurrency as yeah. well. Yeah, and they said, and they said, look, turn in people that are mining because they're consuming too much electricity. Well, it's like what which, now that now they're starting to go green. Like, I mean, China emits so much well, CO two. They they like, I mean, yeah, yeah. everybody talks about the U.S. being like this big bad. You know, energy consuming. Well, it's like, so, yeah, we, uh, yeah, oh, that, we, you're not we wrong, but like a huge I mean, amount, but we're one it's of a the lot good cleaner. guys. Or we're, at le- I don't know about <laughs> that, might be a stretch. We're at least not one of the worst guys. Right. Uh, well, I mean, tomato, tomato, whatever. Shut up. I was, I was quoting the other guys. Okay. So another great, another great finance movie, but not really. Uh. <laughs> That's when I found out I was Gator and I was just at a stable. Of- <laughs> I, no, I won't say it. <laughs> uh, so then Friday, so yes, yeah, so then Friday, Hong Kong came out mm-hmm. and they've said that they will not allow any retail investors 
be involved in cryptocurrency. Right. So, so, so no timeline, exchange can have retail investors. Yeah. So the timeline of last week was what? China decided to crack down on crypto. Because, or crypto on Tuesday mining. and Thursday. Yeah. Tuesday and Thursday. They, so on Tuesday, they said, you know what? Like, we're doing our own yuan, our own digital yuan. And then on Thursday, they said, we're going to crack down on crypto mining because it, it consumes too much energy, which is very ironic. Uh, and then on Friday, Hong Kong, which is China, but not really China, but it is China, but it's also not really yeah, China, but it is China. It's, it's but seven. It's seventy you know to eighty I mean. percent China so, currently. Less and less not China every day. Yeah, or at least it wants to be. But anyways, they cracked down on uh, retail trading and said, "Okay, you know what? It's only for institutional trading." Which I mean, now crypto loses out a ton of their consumer base. One point four, as I as I did the math, because China also put out its census. One point four billion people. Yeah. So now we have almost one third of the of the world's population that can't have access to trading cryptocurrency, which is quite a bit. If you if you're eliminating one customer out of three, right. I would say you better have a damn good product. Yeah, or a damn good markup. Yeah, some you better sort have of good, pretty some good, some margins. Sort of good margins. Yeah, so yeah, there you go. So uh, which then brings us to part two, which is to say essentially India is also passing laws or passing bills to try and make cryptocurrency illegal. And what I mean at that point is then it's I mean, not it just one third. Yet, yeah. That's about half the world's population. Well, well, but, well, I'm saying China and India is about what? So that's about two and a half billion out of seven billion, which is a little over a third. Isn't well, it? yeah, but but how yeah. long until others follow suit at that point? Right. And how exactly. many of those others have the wherewithal to right. buy? But this brings us into Insta Duffy's comment. Mm-hmm. Sent us a story about about the digital yuan having. Oh, yeah. I'm going to say time value because that's the way I see assets with some sort of expiration date is that there's time value, right? The closer you are to the expiration date, the less value it has or the less valuable asset is, right? Well, less fluctuation there certainly is. You certainly, right. the price should be pretty close to what it's worth. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you factor in that time value in the price of the asset because once it expires, it could expire worthless or it could expire in the money. even more valuable, even more in the money, right? So, to, so, so for those of you that don't know what we're talking about, um, Sam sent us uh, an article that I hadn't seen yet. I knew China was developed. We, we both yeah. knew China was developing the digital one. And they talked about it. What I didn't know is that it was actually in four different cities being used. So it is, yeah. it's actually in, it's essentially, it's alpha testing right now. Yeah, yeah. But so, on top of that, that it has, or apparently might have an expiration date. So currency that expires. Yeah. So real quick, um, um, I want to take a sip to you, Sam. Cheers. Thanks for sending us that. Yeah. Good on you, mate. But this brings us to the Silvio Gazelle, Gesel, Silvio Gesel. Gesel, I think it's Gesel. Gesel. He's German, so Gesel. I think he's Italian. Silvio sounds like a really Italian first name. See, whatever. Uh, this matter. is what kills me. He okay. So this is. I'm, I'm gonna make one little joke here. He was a German that moved to Argentina before it was cool. So it was <laughs> okay. 1890, it was cool. not yeah. 1945. Not, not, yeah, not in 1945. Uh, so he's not uh, one of those Germans that went to Argentina. <laughs> We could talk about him. He's, He's okay. He's one of the good guys. See this one. Yeah, there we go. Definitely <laughs> fine there. So there he uh, he was a he was a German entrepreneur, <laughs> but he moved to Argentina. Argentina was in the middle of a recession, mm-hmm. and so it was a runaway inflation, and it was that the reason why he wanted. No, uh, so he he got there, and he said that, um, and he said that two of the vital purposes of money are actually in conflict with each other. And so it's that one that money is a store of value on the one hand. We talked about two weeks we ago. We talked about two weeks ago, but yeah. it's also the medium of exchange to do business with the other. So if it's a store of value and the medium of exchange, 
people will hoard their money. They won't spend it. Right. And so it can lead to sometimes this really interesting idea of- You gotta spend it before a certain day. Yeah, well, right. well, I was gonna say, so the idea of if it, if it doesn't have an expiration date, you might have, everyone has money, but they know they're in a, they don't want to spend it. So you create a recession and then they definitely don't want to spend it. And it makes the recession worse. So it's essentially you have, you have recession amidst plenty. Well, so, so let me, yeah. So let me explain, like a lot of people are like, whoa, money with an expiration date. If I don't spend this dollar by Friday, it's worthless. Yeah. Right, that, that's well, essentially, yes. well, I mean, not by Friday. I mean, technically you get, it's like your paycheck. And if you don't spend that in four years, then it's worthless. That, that's the, that's the premise of, what he's saying, right? Essentially, pretty similar. Um, what, what he said, yeah, is that people is. will sit on their money instead of spending it, and right. that causes a recession. And then during the recession, they double down. Yeah. Now, Keynes called this called the same factor the animal spirits, which well, is to say, if people think yeah. things are bad, it becomes bad because they yeah. hoard their they hoard things. And so Gessel said, well, a lot of other things rot or rust; they go bad. Let's do money the same way. Let's force people to spend it or lose it. Yeah. So a lot of people are probably sitting there listening to this episode and they're going like, whoa, expiration date on money? No, no way. That's a terrible idea. But let me just explain his point of view. I'm not saying I agree with it, but I'm just trying to be perceptual. I'm trying to say like, this is what Gezel's mindset was, was if there's an expiration date on money and you have to spend it by this date, basically what that encourages you to do is... Go out there and spend money when you spend money that boosts the economy, right? Or at least that creates some sort of life in the economy. But at the same time, what it also does is that it takes away the risk of inflation. So now you don't have to make sure that your assets are growing faster than inflation because when your money expires, now there's fewer money supply out there. So, so there's two, there's, there's kind of two so factors that, to this and this, and this all comes back to uh, a really interesting concept, the concept of the velocity of money, mm -hmm. which is to say in a period of time, how many transactions is your currency involved in, right? So if you have high velocity of money, that's generally an indication of a very, um, of an expanding, a thriving economy because people are spending, 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 spending. Yeah. And they're not worried about saving, right? Yeah, they're not worried about savings or, worried, or, they're, yeah. or, they're, or, they're, or they see a dis, or they're disincentivized to save. So pros and cons, yeah. you know, you don't want a velocity of money that's out of control. You also don't want one that's not out of control because it will lead to it can lead to inflation it will lead yeah. to inflation almost well, certainly. I mean, because, because but, why do you save you save for a rainy day and you're worried that you're not going to get that, that cash flow so you save mm -hmm. to prepare yourself for you know what what, what am i going to do if i'm out of a job for a year right i need enough to carry me over for that year if you have a stable cash flows you don't really technically you don't need to save so <laughs> so another point where he said was yes this money expires and what we mean by it expires is that it doesn't just suddenly become worthless if you want it to maintain value as currency, you just have to go to a government office and you stamp it. So it's called stamp. Another way to call it, it's called oh, Gessel right, currency yeah. or stamp currency. And what it means is essentially you go in and it's renewed, but it's renewed at a less at a lower value. So if you had $100, maybe they say, well, we're only going to renew it. We're going to renew $95 and give it to you, but we're going to keep some. It's the money doesn't just suddenly stop. It's just that it's that there's a... It does devalue. Mm -hmm. So the encouragement yeah. is it's it's you don't want it to be I, I can think of a few problems with it initially, but well, I, yeah, it's I mean, not inherently a bad idea in terms of yeah. we don't want people hoarding wealth. We want people spending. Right. In my in my opinion, I, I think it's a terrible idea because like what happens if you buy a stock? Like what so what happens with the funds that you know that you use to buy a certain stock? So you can so you can buy securities with it. So you just have, you just spend the money on something, you have to convert the money into something else. A security right, is but I'm fine. Saying, let's not even go to public equity, let's go to private equity. So like, let's say I invest in a bar or something like that. Now the mm -hmm. bar has to take that money. So if I put $100,000 in 
dollars into a bar. Now they had to spend that hundred thousand dollars really, really fast. Well, I mean, uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, fast for well, fast for. Well, otherwise, um, they renew it next year for for ninety five thousand dollars, right? And, and then the well, the thing is, the, I for, guess the question you know. becomes is, what's the point of having a bar that's just sitting on a hundred thousand dollars? Now, I understand that you want to have a certain amount of money in retained earnings as like a yeah, right, exactly. But if I invest into a bar, it's like you know what? These funds are sitting there. This is supposed to hold them over for a couple of years because I don't expect to, like, you don't expect to actually make money for a couple of years. Yeah. Usually. Okay. Okay. Oh, so you're talking about See a I mean? startup. Right. Exactly. Yeah. No, or, I, I, no, I absolutely know? understand when you expect to operate at a, a loss right. for lack so, of or, term. Like, I don't think it's a stupid idea. I, I don't want us to ever use it. Oh, yeah. I think it's, but, I think it's certainly got, um, but it's, it's groundbreaking. It's, it's, it's the concept of, just, is, you know, uh, it's kind of, it's kind of like, the funny a, thing is we say it's groundbreaking and it's 130 years old. I know. Well, I'm saying like the time was, it's, it's kind of like Orson Welles when Orson Welles did the War of the Worlds. It's like, well, you know what I mean? It's like when Orson Welles did the War of the Worlds, it's like, okay, you, you know, we need to establish the FCC. You know, it's, he changed radio forever because it's like, you know, we need to establish the FCC because you can't be just be saying stuff like that. You can't just be saying like, there's an alien invasion. Now everybody believes is an alien invasion. Yeah. So, so this is back in 1930 or whatever. I don't know when it came out, but it's back in like 1930. But yeah. So, so I can, you know, I can when say, when it comes to like the question of like, you know, digital one, I, th- I think it's fascinating. You know, it's like, it's kind of like trading options. I love trading options. I, 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 I don't love trading options because it, it's really heartbreaking. But I think, you know, so, so here's what I'd say I think the concept of making cryptocurrency a guessel currency, forcing it to expire. Essentially, creating inflation for a digital currency. Yeah, but you got to find a way to spend it other than just to exchange it for cash. You know what I mean? Well, the next issue is that the real problem with China's digital yuan is that the premise of a cryptocurrency is decentralized and not run by a central government. But China's going, nah, hold my beer. Yeah, hold my hold my baijiu. Baijiu, yes, I'm gonna do it. Yes, (laughs) that stuff is so disgusting. It absolutely is. I I, had I can't stand that stuff. I oh my god, I had one, and and this is the best. This is is my favorite thing. I think I said it tastes like a diaper. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, that's fair enough. Uh, But yeah, dude, it's to me. I think it's fascinating. I don't. For cryptocurrency, I don't know why you would have to do it, but let's see how it plays out. Maybe everybody else is going to hop on that train. Maybe Dogecoin is going to have an expiration date. Like, what's going to happen, really, if you see... I guess now at this point, it's like, you know, it, it, it'll be traded more like a, like an actual commodity. Where there's yeah. features. Where well, it's, so, so, it, it's, it, like, it, it's like the May 25 WTI or the June, mm-hmm. June corn future. It would add, you know, I, you know so. I, just thinking to myself, you would, it would, you'd end up with this very interesting position of, like, if I had money that expired at the end of this month or it needed a stamp and someone else had money that expired in three months or it needed a stamp but i was trying to save to buy something what's the premium i'd be willing to buy their longer currency at than my Ooh, shorter term yeah, that's currency really, yeah that's really right good so that's so like that's, when you roll it, forward so, yeah, yeah if i need if i'm if i'm saving for an investment a car a, a house how do I, yeah, well, you know, yeah, it's kind of like when you roll forward on, on a, like a contract that you sold, right? So, yeah. so the, like I said, there's some interesting, interesting concepts to that. Yeah. Um, that's fascinating. But uh, anyways, let's dude, seriously. Thanks for that. That was an awesome question. But I guess from here, like what I really want to talk about is like, we often talk about the centralization, you know, going back to what can influence inflation, right? Mm-hmm. You know, there's a thing out there that's, that centralizes the currency, that centralizes the currency of, like we said, Japan and Germany and all that. Yeah, so, yeah, some sort of central bank that controls, in right. theory, the, the well, it doesn't control in theory, it controls, in fact, the amount of currency out there, right. with the so, exception of anyone trying to counterfeit your money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but to me, I mean, I, like, I think it's really fascinating. It's just like, you know what? 
You know, we have this thing called the repo markets, which we touched on for like mm-hmm. two seconds earlier. But this takes me back to 2019 when before COVID, all that kind of stuff. And in 2019, what people didn't realize was the yield curve was starting to invert. And there's no real relationship so far between their yield curve and the performance of the economy and the performance of the markets. Aside from any time the yield curve inverts, it usually leads to some sort of demise between both the stock market and the economy. But to me, it's not necessarily like one causes the other. It's always been like when the yield curve inverts, the stock market pretty much seems to crash right after that. Uh, Well, and and yeah, and and we somehow got uh, a crash after that for a totally different reason. Yeah, well, just the yield curve. But no one was talking about COVID when the yield curve inverted. Because it really started, like it started to like flatten in 2018. And then in 2019, it's, that's when it started to fluctuate a little bit. And then it's kind of, it, the scales tipped in one direction that caused the yield curve to invert a little bit. And then that's when the repo program was announced. Yeah, they tried to suppress that inversion. Yeah, which like, ironically was like right when COVID became a thing. Yeah. Well, what happened was there was a massive failure at a, at a bond auction. There were a few, uh, in, a, in a few countries. It wasn't, right. it wasn't just. Yeah, I mean, but it was a bond auction. Germany, Germany had a very serious one. Oh, yeah. Their it, boons, well, it, uh, that was yeah, very exactly. interesting. Well, that, and, and that's why they, that's why the 30-year started to kind of fluctuate between zero and negative. But then in the U.S., I mean, like the bond auction, just like no one wanted to buy bonds. You know, so everybody that had to buy bonds bought bonds, and then outside of that, yeah, uh, who banks wants to, banks went in and right? did it, and well, then, they had to, right? And then from there, it's yeah, like, honestly, who wants this? I mean, interest rates are so low. Yeah, the, the, um, pro- the, the stock market primary was, market purchased, and the secondary market was less interested. Well, yeah, exactly. Um, basically, what happened was all these bonds. I mean, there's just this massive supply of bonds just sitting there. And what happens when there's a massive, massive supply of bonds? Well, the price goes down, yeah. so the yield goes up. So now the bonds are trading at a discount. Huge discount. So when, you yeah. know, if say I, so-, so Which for, is weird, because bonds, yeah, bonds are inverted in this sense. It's, it's tough, it, to me, it's, it's a little tougher to put two together. Yield, yield yeah. and price have an inverted relationship. Yeah, so price goes down, yield goes up. Yeah, but it makes, but that makes sense because it's like, oh, you know, a bond showing a 3% coupon rate, so assuming coupon bond, Tells us, right. oh, we're going to pay you three percent a year that you hold this, uh, and then at the at the term, at the life of the bond, we're going to pay you back face value. Right. Well, if you're sitting here and it's like, oh, it's a thousand dollar, you know, bonds generally come in thousand dollar face right. values for those. Years. One bond is a thousand dollars, right? Usually speaking, yeah, usually speaking, unless otherwise stated, we can assume we can assume it's a thousand dollars per face value. You might sometimes see like, uh, oh, this bond's paying at three percent, but the market's returning six. So right, so, so it's definitely going to be discounted, and so it's like, oh, I'll give you five hundred bucks for it. Right. It's, so well, your it's, yield, so that three percent on a thousand, but you only paid five hundred. Yeah. Like, that's a great yield. It's a great return. Yeah. So what you have to think about with bonds is like what you're buying is you're buying fixed income. You're buying fifty dollars every six years or whatever it is, whatever the payout is. You're right? buying a coupon rate every year, right? Or a portion of that twice a year, and then a thousand dollars at the end. Yeah, so exactly. So the coupon rate never changes. The yield changes because the coupon rate stays the same in accordance to a thousand dollars. And so let's just say you have a bond that pays fifty dollars every, every six months, so hundred dollars a year, which is what a one percent bond. Ten, that's ten. Per, it's a, it's ten, one be a ten percent bond. Yeah, one percent bond. Ten. One hundred dollars. Ten percent of a thousand. No. Okay. Uh, no, you're absolutely right. I feel like an idiot right now. Don't. I know. I don't know. Why I thought it was one percent, but whatever. A ten percent bond. Okay, this this is pretending it's never happened. Um, even though it's it's out there now, it's out there. That doesn't happen. Everybody to knows I can't do math. Uh, and I'm trying. I know that's. I'm trying to use it. I can't do math. Sorry, that's why I'm here. Yeah, exactly. Thank God we brought you here. Um, yeah, a ten percent bond, ten uh, percent coupon 
basically what the bond is, you're buying $50 a year for however long the bond lasts. So if it's a five-year bond, you're buying $50 every six months for the next five years. And then at the end of the five years, you receive a thousand dollars. You get, you get, you, yeah. Hopefully, that's yeah. That's another big one. I mean, hopefully, it, you, I mean, it's a bond, so usually you will because it's a little safer than a stock, right? So if, if the co- if the company fails, you get paid before the stockholder. Yes, you do. That so, way. so it's a little bit As safer. A bondholder. But like if you could buy fifty dollars every six months and a thousand dollars after the term of the bond for eight hundred dollars. That's a higher yield. Than if you bought it for 1200 Yeah, then if you bought it for 1200 now the bond is trading at a premium. Now, why would bonds trade at a premium? Well, because it's a more coveted asset. The fixed income, the $50 a year is more valuable to some people if they're willing to pay $1,200 for it versus, you know, if someone's willing to pay $800 for it, obviously... Nobody wanted it. Like the person that held yeah. it, or or the, it's, the people that are whatever the secu- whatever the the script is. It's 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 unattractive in some way if it's trading at a discount. It's very right. attractive if it's trading at a premium. And the premium discount that can swing from week to week. Right. You might. Yeah. I mean, and there's the thing. You might buy something for a, a discount this week, and it might be trading at, at a, a huge week. premium next week. Yeah. And you might sell and just go sweet. Yeah. Screw the fixed <laughs> income. It. I'll just take the capital appreciation. I'll, take the capital appreciation. Great, you know? I'll get at it. I'll get out of it now. And then. Right. Right, you know, yeah. There's all kinds of timing strategies yeah. on, on commercial script and, and on script of any kind. Right, exactly. So, and, and why would the price of the bond change? Well, because markets change. Bonds, markets change. The company is doing well. The company is doing poorly. Right. So, you know, if a company has a good credit score or a company has a bad credit score, right? If a company has a terrible credit score, I mean, like you'd be like, you know, I'll pay $500 for this. Right. So, well, I'll take, that's the I'll take their 50 bucks for the first, like if it's a five year bond, I'll take their 50 bucks for the first two to three years. But boy, am I going to be looking for someone else to buy out for right, my to position? Buy your debt, right. Or, or to buy your yeah, credit. Yeah, to buy this right, position so. from me. Right. Getting closer to the due date, especially if I become less and less convinced that they can make good on it. Right. So, hopefully, that helped you make sense of bonds. If not, uh, sorry. Sorry if I made it more if confusing. That will do a bond episode. Yeah. I mean, I, they, I, well, we're due for one, say, anyways. But I mean, and we can yeah, call it the uh, James Bond episode. <laughs> James Goldwater Bond episode. We talked about ratings before, but we haven't talked about bonds. But anyways, when it comes to the U.S. Treasury yields, when the 10-year yield goes down, basically, mm-hmm. it just means a lot of people are flooding towards that kind of asset because it's risk-free. It's- yeah, this is the worst part. So when we start to talk about bonds, it's you normally think when people flood towards something, the price would go up, right? Because demand is going up. Well, the What's price really is happening going is, up. The yield isn't. The price is going up. But we're talking about the yield. And so the yield is actually going yeah. down. And it's it's this weird, like, negative way of like, yeah, I might have been able to buy this for $700 last week. But now I, I'm buying it for $950. Right. So my yield is plummeting. Right. So, I mean, so w- when the U.S. government issues a ton of bonds, like, you talk about the things that influence inflation, right? So what- my, my understanding is it's usually – it's it's – when you start to issue bonds, especially the longer term bonds, so it's a hedging tool against inflation, five, 10, 30 year bonds, yeah. you're tying up someone's money for a substantial period. Hypothetically. And so yeah. you need to, uh, you need to sweeten the pot. You need to, you need to entice them into it. So you offer them a really good, coupon, you offer them right, a really yeah. good yield. You offer them a really high coupon. Right. So to me, like we have this thing called the repo markets, which repo markets short or repurchase, the repurchase markets. Uh, who's repurchasing what? Well, the U.S. government or the Federal Reserve, who recently issued those bonds, issued those notes, those bonds went out. They got auctioned off. They said, hey, this is the coupon rate. Let me know what you think. And if nobody buys it, that's going to drive the yields up. If nobody is buying the two-year yields, usually what it means, you know, when people study behavioral economics is nobody trusts the short-term economy. 
Nobody yeah. trusts. I, no, it's the other way around. It's if people are buying into longer yields, it means that they're they they don't trust the short term. That's what it they is, think they're going right. to get more money safer in the long run in bonds. Yeah, so nobody's <laughs> buying the short term yields. So the short term yields go up. Short term yields go up. It's like whoa, that's not a good sign. So. You know, we talk about inverted yield curve. The yield curve is supposed to go from like one to thirty in terms of years, and it's supposed to start low. Yep, and, and it's yields, supposed to have a, the, it's supposed to have a positive right. relationship. Yeah, meaning the yields at two-year levels are supposed to be lower than the yields at the thirty-year level, and it's supposed to be go up kind of chronologically. Yeah, but if it kind of inverts, so like let's say the two-year yields are at three percent and the ten-year yields are at two point eight percent, that's we're starting to see that invert where it's where people are going, well, mm-hmm. I don't want a short-term bond. I want a, I want a slightly longer-term bond. And it seems and, – and that's usually indicative of a market or of, of institutions going, I don't like what's happening. So I'm going to move some of my money into a more secure asset. Mm-hmm. Well, not – well, to a, into that fixed income yeah. that's going to pay. Safer. It's, it's almost certainly uh-huh. safe. And when I buy, I'm buying it at a really good – hopefully initially yield, but right, as yeah. other people buy in after you, which means people are piling on, which means other people are seeing the, the same thing market, you're seeing yeah. in the secondary market. And they're going, ooh, whatever it was that spooked you guys is also spooking me. me. Too. So, now, so, I'm, now, so yeah. now I'm in it. And so you start to see these these longer yeah. term deplete. And it's because someone sit, might hear and say, it, you might see like, I need to get out of the six-month bond because I don't know if it's going to pay out, but I'm willing to go into a two-year bond. Right, exactly. I think we'll be on the other side of whatever my concern is by yeah. then or the five-year bond. Right. So when, you, so, so when you receive the then. cash, you'll be out of that, yeah. whatever downturn that occurred. So this brings us to the repo markets. So the repo um, market and the reverse repo market, it's a tool. So we were talking about inflation. It's a tool for, it's, it's the main tool kind of, as I understand it, for how uh, the Federal Reserve puts currency into or out of the economy, how it controls one of the way, right. one of the ways well, just, it controls inflation, well, yeah, and one so, of the main ways it controls the amount of cash in an economy. Yeah, so it controls the money supply, which the number one mm-hmm. factor for inflation is money supply, hands yep. down. Not even money demand, yeah, so money it, supply. I mean, that that's when I'm a, my supply yeah. side comes out when it comes to currency or it comes to inflation. Yeah, I mean, not not even currency, just inflation. So it's, yeah, yeah. I mean, and 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 I mean, we know how people react when money's cheap that yep. they borrow. Yep. So the first is so the repo agreement. What it essentially says is that the um, government or the Federal Reserve in, or central bank is going to come out and say, like, I will buy back from you bonds in exchange for the cash, right. you know, plus some interest. So think about this as a normal transaction. The Federal Reserve is Reap buying. The, yeah, they're buying a bond. What happens when you buy something? You, you give them cash, right? So the Federal Reserve is giving cash to. The banking system, the financial system. The banks. What does that do? There's now there's more money in the economy, right? There's less money in the Federal so, Reserve. There's so more money the, in the yeah. So now the bank has economy. has more cash. It can lend more money. Yeah, it can, exactly. It can put more money out. It can lo- it can lower its own rates and put more money out into and the economy. And more people can buy right? houses, so, and more people can buy cars, and more people can buy right? stuff like that. It, it, and, theoretically, and, this is this is all a method to increase the velocity of money. Right. I mean, it's, and See, it's, right? uh-huh. yeah, it, yeah, and it's all full theory. circle. Right. It's all theory. It's. I mean, this is it, usually. I mean, usually I it mean, works. We've, you know, we've seen the lab of, uh, you know, people in the economy uh, throughout the history of time. You know, that's that's that's, yeah. that's the economics lab. This is the lab. <laughs> yeah, so that's the lab. You know, there's no like, you know, what happens oh when my you gosh. put this particle so with So basically, this particle. I, just, okay. I just realized we're econoholic lab rats. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what we are. We just kind of look at what happened in November of 2019. We're like, this, is, you know, this kind of makes sense. This is kind of how people behave with money. And so that's what happened. 
you know, money supply went up. There were inflationary concerns. There were a ton of inflationary concerns in 2019, but nobody talked about that. Nobody. Yeah, it's, and it's and it's because they saw it's because markets continued to gather steam. Markets continued to just set record after record. Right, and and, um, and what was the story was you know what the world is flowing with cash. So why like why blow the steam? Or if, or if you asked me, or if you asked me in 2019 and early 2020. This is a, an engine that has far too much lubricant in it, and I think the gears are starting to slip. To come out of and yeah, s- and come out of place. Yeah. So, um, but what happened was the repo markets came in, right? And this was this was a big part of the commentary after the pandemic hit. Was the repo markets came in and they pretty much made the economy seem better than it was because they bought a ton of the two year yields. They, they, so they pulled down. Yeah. You know, they, 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 they decreased supply. The, 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 the two year yields and the short term yields dropped yeah, back the price under went the. Up and the yields went down as we talked about inverted relationship. And coupon was the same, but price yield, boom, inverted. And now. We have a normal yield curve, and now nobody's crying. Yeah, and recession. then CNBC got quiet so, about it, and they said, "Are we looking at a potential recession? Are we looking at at some it, sort it of?" CNB- it did, everybody, everybody was talking. Well, everyone, about it. So, every financial yeah. network was saying, "It's like, well, we're in it. We're we're finally in an inverted yield curve. Is there something bad on the horizon?" Turns out there was. It just wasn't. But it was a pure economic. Right. Exactly. I mean, but do we know about it? Like, did, did the yield curve invert because of COVID? Do they know about it? Because it, it inverted around September, which is when we saw the first signs of COVID. Right. But, but nobody uh, knew it was well, as bad as it was. Yeah. Everybody thought it was going to stay in China, and that was it. It's China's problem. I, I would have said. I mean, that time, I've been kind least. of bearish for the last two years. Because I don't that people are willing to pay the money for the things. Uh, clearly, there's no doubt we were at a doubt at what thirty four thousand. Well, yeah, but until we got point, out, right? until I saw the wage increases, like I think we're going to see wage increases. Yep. You know, I was looking, I was going like, I was like, we're in the terminal stages. The base doesn't have enough money to support the rest. It's yeah, just it's so- just not there. The economy is due for failure. Why do they keep treating the symptoms and not the actual problem? You know, but that's been the problem with not just the political landscape. Oh yeah, no, I'm sorry. I know there's a big problem. Yeah, I mean it's a, it's a big problem with the political landscape, but it's a big problem with the economic landscape. Is everybody's treating the symptom, not the? In my opinion, everybody's treating the symptom and they're not treating the actual root of the problem. So well, yeah, I don't know. treating the problem's hard and it takes political will. And it, yeah, and, and, it, it, and it takes a lot of accountability and it, and it takes a lot of... It's usually own, not you know, good at the bottom line for the people, of course for your constituents of course who isn't. are paying for your campaigns, not who are voting right, for Right, of course because it isn't. So, if we've learned anything about politicians, right? Yeah, so, um, but um, I mean, you know, I kind of want to just wrap this up with the stagflation question, right, that we ooh, received. Yeah. Frustrated, my dude, frustrated. Hey, you know yeah. what? You and me both. Uh, Hopefully not with us. I mean, with us, I totally understand it. But uh, you know, Irish whiskey, whiskey cures all. That's that's the best vaccine shot you'll ever receive. Shot, huh? Shot, shots, shots. Everybody. Huh? But yeah, I mean, uh, so frustrated says, "Hey, I heard a new term called stagflation today." He's, he's, I think. Are you asking? Would it be the same as if? You- yeah, I think. I think he's asking. Um, which I guess. So IG, I guess, would be the same as what the Feds are calling transitory inflation. And he's asking, "Is that correct?" But his question is, is inflation, uh, my question is, inflation that's here to stay or stagflation? Yeah, I think the inflation is here to stay. It's not transitory. So transitory inflation is essentially inflation that's not permanent. It's, a, it's inflation that's representing a transition between some historical point and some new point. So it's just, it's non-permanent inflation. So it might be that we're seeing just a, a, 
bubble of inflation for maybe interest rates have been too low, the repo markets have been too kind, there's been too much quantitative quantitative easing, whatever right. it is has caused some inflation. Well, that's, I mean, I mean, I don't think that's what's happening here. I think legitimately we have real inflation. Yeah, but let's but let's um, let's talk about stagflation. Like, what is let's talk about stagflation? It's a stagflation. So normally in um. Normally, there's an inverted. So in the same way that we have price and yield as an inverse relationship on bonds, uh, there's an inverse relationship between unemployment and inflation that we know what we considered normal. Now, a few times in history, this hasn't worked. Uh, but usually what, that, what this means is that the higher unemployment is, the lower inflation is, the higher inflation is, the lower unemployment is. And that makes sense. Yeah. If more people are working. More people have money. More people have money. They're spending they're that spending money. money. It drives inflation up. And they're borrowing money because they have because they believe that they can pay it back. Because they their, have with, the means. With yeah. their salaries. So. Whereas when unemployment's very high, fewer people have money. They're unwilling to borrow. They're unwilling to spend. And so inflation right. drops. Yeah. And they're so saving. Stag, so. so what stagflation is, is it's characterized by high unemployment, high inflation, and a decreased demand uh, in, in your economy. Um, and what I'll say right now, well, well but, the, but the decreased demand that, that decreased yeah, it's demand weird, part, right? Because because well, then you go, well, what do I? That all seems what, all three of those things together at the same time. If you put them in a room, aren't seem, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's like a negative. One of them has to give. Yeah, it's like it's like two of the same magnets putting pushed against each other, and it yeah, sticks. it's, it's, it's like putting two, two yeah. negative ions, or two, just, two negative whatever. bars. Yeah, and it, it's just not. It just doesn't make it, sense. It seems it seems like one of them should collapse, and then everything would write itself. Right. So, are we in stagflation now? No, we can't be, uh, or at least not based on that traditional definition. So, I would say no, we're not. Well, because um, what demand? Because demand is insanely high. Demand is incredibly high. It's supply that's lagging right now, which that drives up inflation. Right. So that's driving up inflation. Two, yeah. yeah, inflation, it's going to be a thing. 6.1% well, unemployment? Well, that's not That's not good. Great. But, and 75% of not, the jobs have come back. I mean, they're back. Well, here, here's so. the big one is, is and we've, and we've harped on, I've harped on this for three weeks now. There's a lot of places that are looking to hire, but people aren't showing up because right. they're not paying enough. Mm-hmm. When wages go up, unemployment will go down. Right. We might see a slight increase as more people come back into the workforce than well, were there and, maybe before COVID. Well, and but to me, I like, would say, but I would also say like six point one percent. While it's not great, that's not high. Yeah, it's, it's, it's more than you want. You know, but it's not well, like nine percent. Well, I mean, ideally, what like what do you want? Like three percent ish. Yeah, three. Uh, it's three it's would a good, be healthy rate, right? I mean, but like you know, I've said this a thousand times. Like pretty much what COVID did is it just accelerated the age of the earth, right? So everything became more digital, which I mean, all that was going to happen anyways. What, what else? Deliveries, you know, everybody got everything delivered to the door, work from home, all that kind of stuff. That was all going to happen anyways, but it just got super accelerated because of COVID. So my thing was in 2018, right? We had a labor shortage in 2018. Nobody talked about it. Nobody talked about it. There were more job openings and there were workers available to fill those roles. And a lot of that was because workforce participation was coming down and workforce participation was coming down for a long time. And nobody yeah, talked but, about this. Well, you only so, want to pay seven and a quarter an hour. You can't expect people to... Fair enough, right? So there you go. So workforce participation has gone down like crazy. You know, in 2018, we had that jo- that labor shortage. You know, I like when I worked for CNBC, I did a story on that. And... 2019, nobody talked about it, but it was still there. But it wasn't like a big thing. It wasn't like, oh man, like this is 
so important. But there was a truck driver shortage. I mean, there was literally like there's been a truck. There's been a, a shortage of Teamsters in this country for, for a 25 long time. years. Yeah, so, there's been a shortage of accountants in this country for 25. Right. For Everybody years. wants a high paying job with with the least amount of education possible, right? Which I get it, right? but but to <laughs> I mean, me, at the same yeah, time, like, if you want a high paying job and you don't want to go to school, like take a blue collar job because those jobs pay oh, yeah. dollars a year now. I mean, if you're yeah. a mechanic, uh, if you're if you're money fi- now, yeah. so. If you're technically proficient, you don't need to go to college. You could I mean, make so much money now. I mean, like there's blue collar millionaires everywhere. There's more blue collar millionaires today than there ever was. Like, so we had the labor shortage back then, and now it's just like it's super accelerated because guess what happened? Well, five hundred thousand five hundred thousand people died. That's that's one well, thing. That's one yes, one there, but two like. You know, which that's really sad. But two, yeah. um, I think we just kind of have know, to gloss over yeah. it because, frankly, yeah, how, what else do you do? Yeah, it's it's it, loss of life is sad. But at the same time, you know, the second part of that too, which makes it even sadder, is you know, I, and I don't mean to be insensitive, and this is going to sound sensitive, but uh, I was going to say it anyways. You know, there's there's less workers. You know, there's less people working. Yeah, which, no, absolutely. Uh, and, and workers became labor became more valuable, right? Due to this. Um, yeah, That's just a and, statement of fact. It's not, yeah, there's exactly. no moral implication there. Yeah. And, you know, from there, it was like, you know what? A lot of time passed. A lot of people have, a lot of people have since headed into retirement. And additionally, a lot of people have left the workforce to go to school and get additional schooling. Mm-hmm. So labor yep. just has become more valuable because a lot of people are just like, hey, you know, this is, and that's really on top of the fact you know? that the millennial generation is the most educated generation in the Already. history of the world. Was before this. Yeah. And when you're educated, what do you do? You demand more for your work because your work is more valuable, technically. You demand you demand a more equitable distribution of, of wealth yeah, for, um, for your labor. Yeah, because you learn how to party for four years. Hey. <laughs> you know, but uh, in all honesty, though, like what I'm trying to say is like there was a labor shortage back then. And it hasn't gotten everybody, better. Yeah. Everybody stopped working and it's gotten so much worse because – the demand has come back, and it's come back so much faster than why. You know, yeah. so we're talking about the CPI and the PPI. It's like, well, of course, everything's going to go up. Well, the PPI is gonna because there's fewer raw materials. Like, yeah, uh, you know, so you know, and and I think a lot of a lot of states they're they're cutting the unemployment benefits because they're trying to combat this labor supply. The th- you know, which it's it's one way to try. It's a, I think it's a bad look for you politically. Absolutely. No, if the, and mean, if the answer is I'm doing what I think is right and I'm willing to give up my seat. My response to that is no matter who you are, kudos for you. Stand by your guns. Stand by your principles. If you get voted out, I guess yeah. we know how your electorate yeah. feels. Yeah, uh, and if James Goldwater doesn't feel like it's the morally correct thing to do, well, that's James Goldwater's opinion and his view on what he thinks is morally correct. Well, you're also, you're, I mean, so, you're gonna get my, you're gonna get my vote. You're either gonna get my my assent, or you're going to get my, uh, or I'm gonna vote for someone else. Well, I mean, my thing is like, if you're at least if you're honest in that sense, like, yeah, yeah. that that's the best thing a politician has ever done. But regardless, like. No, I love the stagflation question. Yeah, it was a um, good one. So I know we talked about it. Did we talk about it at the very, very beginning? Uh, it was one of the. Well, we talked about interest rates at the very beginning because we want to make sure that everybody's interested. I know we did, but, and uh, it's... we did talk about inflation, stagflation, all that kind of. Oh, what are all these flations, right? You remember? Mm-hmm. Um, I say I think it's. I think deflation, it's definitely deflation was a big thing that we talked about. Yeah, too. that was a fun one because we talked right. about how it's it's. There's, Usually there's, we think of it as not good, but there are times and places where we're like, you know, it actually it is good in these specific right. instances. Yeah, I mean, it's just a you know a large uh, monetary demand and no monetary supply, and that's just because nobody's spending. 
If you're not spending money, or there's no velocity, right? So if nobody's spending money, you're going to have deflation. Yeah, you had, or or if or if the technology increases in such an incredible way that you can now produce a better product for less money, you have deflation. And so, like com- computing power was the big one we talked about. How uh, oh, how right, the doubling yeah. of computing power every 18 months led to a point where you know you used to have a room full of a computer that costs so many tens of thousands of dollars, and now for a grand, you know, now for a grand, you could have this bad boy. Yeah. Uh, I'm holding my cell phone. Yeah, he's uh, holding smartphone. his smartphone. It's, it's Scott. Yeah, but the other thing is just like, you know, we have the repo program, the reverse repo program, right? Which the reverse. So think of the repo program. The reverse repo program is government selling bonds. So they're, they may sell a bond. What happens when the government sells bonds? Yeah, they're pulling cash out of the economy. Yeah, cash goes from the bank into the government because they're selling a bond. So, you know, when you sell something, you receive money. When the government sells something, they receive money. So, you know, the reverse, I mean, these are all strategies. These are all things, mechanisms that they can use to control inflation. So to me, that's the argument of whether or not inflation is transitory is, you know what? They have so many tools. They have so many things in their arsenal they can use to combat a rising inflation rate. So that's my theory. And, you know, with unemployment, to me, to me, all it really comes down to is let's see how this unemployment thing shakes out. If wages continue to go up at this rate, inflation is going to is going to go up. There's no there's no if ands or buts about that. It's going to go up. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and you know we're gonna see what's go, what goes on with housing prices. I mean, commodities. The, yeah, so theoretically, with housing, we should see once the lumber supply normalizes, we should see yeah housing prices that's, come back down. Yeah. But lumber prices won't normalize until everybody goes back to work. The thing is, you know? when you when you when you can increase prices the way you the way that we've seen with lumber, with copper wire, with right. really a lot of these with inputs, aluminum. Oh yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. they can. T- oh. These guys can now turn around and say, like, look, I'm producing half, maybe half the lumber I produced before COVID. But the thing is, within reason, it's not costing you more money to produce. You know, it, it's you know your variable cost versus your fixed cost. Your fixed costs oh, are absolutely. Changed. Your variable costs have not changed. Maybe gas is a little more expensive now than it was this time yeah, last gas year. Prices so too, for yeah, your so. so fuel for your for your equipment. But as a whole, you can look at this and say like the market demand. It was demand pull on prices, so my margin got substantially better. Mm-hmm. I can now hire if if I was paying guys thirty bucks an hour to do lumber work earlier, I can now pay forty, and I'm still coming out ahead. I'm giving my, okay, I'm, my yeah. guys are making more money well, and but, I'm making more and I'm still keeping more. Right, But this brings me back to like the demand schedule. Right. So at, at a certain point, yeah. like, you know, if you can only sell one beer for $10, but you can sell five beers for $8, I'd rather sell five beers for $8. Assuming that the, the cost for me is $5 beer. Yeah. You know, so you have to look at it from that instance, right? Where like, where in the demand schedule does lumber fit the best, right? If, if you're uh, yeah. scrambling and, and this is, and this, this markup is causing you a bigger headache. It's not good either, right? You know, and if you're not maximizing well, your profits because of this demand, you know, if, if lumber prices have priced everybody out, like if, if no one's willing to buy lumber because it's like, oh, it's too too expensive. No one's priced out. That's the thing is no one's priced out. I understand. Or at least they're not priced out yet. Obviously, no one's priced out because they would never trade at that at that price. The futures yeah. would never trade at that price unless people were actually willing to pay for it. So, no, I get that. But how do you judge inflation? First of all, the inflation rate, but secondly, the commodity prices and, you know, that's a tough thing for the government to actually manipulate. Yeah, you know, like it, it definitely is. And, and and like I said, we've seen it. Germany, Japan, last 20, 25 years ha- have had 
central banks have found out that creating inflation is harder than they thought. Right. So I think what we were really going to see is that inflation, unless you use a Gessel currency, it's really hard to create inflation. Oh, God. I'm going to take it. There you go. That's as, you, as the, go- that's as the government. You either just give yeah. a, a lot of people a lot of money and people with a high propensity to spend. Which would happen or, if wage went up, but go on. Or you put that, that timestamp on it. You say, hey, you got to spend your money. Otherwise. Or, you can, or it devalues. And if you're willing to eat the, eat the loss, and, and if there is an expiration date, the time value goes down. So that's an interesting concept. You know, I don't know. Would I vote for Gessel Goldwater in 2024? I don't know. I don't know uh-huh. if I would either. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you and I agree on that one stance right there politically. Aside from that, I think you and I are completely opposite sides. But anyways, I think we can both agree it's time to wrap this shindig up. Oh, absolutely. We've gone long. Um, so yeah, obviously, if you enjoyed the questions that, you, that people were able to get to us that we answered, you should join our Discord. Uh, if you want to figure out the invite for the Discord, you should check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I think we have the invites on all three of those. Mm-hmm. And it's at and the handle is at Drunkenomical, D-R-U-N-K-E-O-M-I-C-A-L. I still can't do that. That wasn't my best one, but, you know, I'll it's take still it. still better than mine. Yeah. Um, so, not bragging, just saying. Um, you can message us there as well. We'll be more mm-hmm. than happy to send you the there. link to Discord, but it's also in our descriptions. You can see how yeah, we pinned it. Party. If you can't find it, yeah. get it, join the party, get the questions in. You can also que- uh, send questions, messages to us there. We're also, is it, what is it, drunkenomics at gmail.com? Yeah. Um, uh, for sorry, email if you want to shoot yeah. us an email. Maybe there's an attachment or something you want to send. Yeah. Uh, and from there, we also have merch. Don't forget about that. Uh, oh, wanna, yeah. yeah. If you want to buy like a nice little drunkenomics hoodie, yes, yeah, sweet hoodie. Got spreadshirt.com. Uh, from there, we have Patreon. P-A-T-R-E-O.C-O-M slash Drunkenomics. If you, what do you say? I said if you want to help us keep the lights on, the liquor cabinet stocked. My definitely, God. yeah, having that is definitely a, a great way to keep us going. Uh, and with and that then, said... Oh, um, I guess I'll throw this out here now. Go ahead and give us a review. Give us some feedback. Oh, yeah, we, we love, love the questions. Yeah. We love feedback. And um, it, I think it helps us be better and it helps mm-hmm. us tailor our product, uh, well, this product to maybe more of what you guys want to hear, what you folks want to hear. Right, yeah. We're happy, so, we're happy I mean, to talk about really kind of anything. Right. It's, uh, yeah. Tell us why you hate us. Yeah, tell, just, tell us why you love us. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to hear all that kind of stuff. So, because you're probably right. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, with that said, uh, I would like to invite you to uh, always play chestnut checkers. Two shots before the mic is hot. What else do we have to say? That sounds like the keep it drunk and amical alarm right there. Oh, I think it is time. You're absolutely right. My watch knows that you should always do what. I mean, keep it drunk and amical. Cheers, my friend. Stay drunk and amical. Yeah. That's it. Cheers, my friend. Cheers. <laughs> A Huda Media Production.